Hi everyone, I'm Amber Rose, the Religious Hippie, and welcome to A Catholic's Perspective. For those of you just finding this podcast, let me tell you a little about myself. I was born and raised a cradle Catholic until I fell away from the church for eight years. I just recently came back to the church and I could not be happier with where I am today. I am currently a junior in college and I'm studying graphic design. I am an ambassador for multiple amazing Catholic Christian companies and I love working with all of them. Now, some of you may already know me from my popular religious hippie social media channels, such as TikTok, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I have all kinds of Catholic content on there, so don't forget to go check those out. So the reason I wanted to start a podcast was so that I'd be able to have a longer format which people could listen to from wherever they are. I particularly wanted to address issues that young Catholics face today in the secular world, and I want to do that by providing information along with commentary and even a little of my own opinion. I can't lie, from time to time I might be discussing very controversial issues, and some will find my opinions unappealing. But I do this out of my faith and service to God. We must keep communicating with each other, respecting each other, and put each other on the path to sainthood. I think you'll enjoy the podcasts coming up, and I thank you for being here with me. Hi everyone, and welcome back to my podcast. If you're new here, welcome. I'm Amber Rose, also known as the Religious Hippie. And today we have a very special guest with us. We have Father Daniel Duplantis. Welcome, Father Dan. Hello, thank you. Yeah, of course. I'm really excited about the video today, uh, the podcast today, but why don't you tell us a little about yourself first? Alrighty, so I am a priest of the Diocese of Homa Thibodeau. That's the very southeastern part of Louisiana, about 60 miles southwest of New Orleans. Uh, So most people don't realize there's something south of New Orleans, but we're here. Um, So this is down in Cajun country. So when you think of down the bayou, this is us. Uh, So do a lot of fishing and stuff growing up. And uh, I am the associate pastor at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Student Center at Nichols State University in Thibodeau. Uh, And I was ordained a priest on June 6, 2020. I also serve as a chaplain candidate for the United States Air Force, co-sponsored by the Archdiocese for the Military Services. Wow, very cool. Well, thank you for being here. I love it. (laughs) My pleasure. Yeah, of course. So I think we're just going to jump right in. Um, So today we're going to be talking about confession, you know, and I had some uh, questions, you know, from some, um, some of my listeners that sent some in and I sent those to you. So I think we're going to be answering some of those today. Sounds good. All right. So I think the first thing we should kind of um, ask for a question is, why is confession necessary? What is its purpose? Right. So confession, first of all, is necessary because it's the means by which Christ instructed the apostles to dispense the grace of God's mercy. Uh, when we look at the sacraments, the sacraments are something that are instituted by Christ first and foremost, uh, something that he introduced. Or, for example, in the case of matrimony, something that kind of already existed, but he raised to the dignity of a sacrament. Also with confession, it's necessary because Christ says it is. Um, And so what we're looking at is it's the gateway sacrament after baptism for receiving the Eucharist. Baptism is the gateway for all the sacraments, but then after that, confession, because of its role uh, in in forgiving sins committed after baptism, uh, serves as the next gateway to receiving the Eucharist. So I guess it's kind of the short answer there. Uh, But then also, because Christ instructed it, we get that from John chapter 20, uh, verse 23, where he breathes on the apostles and says, receive the Holy Spirit, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, and whose sins you retain are retained. So all the sacraments have some kind of scriptural basis as well. 
Right. Which is really important because I think, especially for some of our non-Catholic listeners out there, they can actually understand that a lot of our beliefs do come from the Bible. You know, even though we do have, you know, um, you know, we, our beliefs come from the Bible and through, um, through oral tradition. Um, however, it's so cool to see, you know, and have it explained to us. So with that being said, how often should Catholics go to confession? I think monthly is a really, really good frequency. I'll tell people all the time. Like, I think if you go monthly, that kind of helps you with knowing your sins better. Um, I, I think it was John Paul II who said he actually went weekly. And so if, if the Pope, you know, St. John Paul II went weekly, uh, that's something I try to do myself personally. Um, and I think that kind of frequency, somewhere between a month, maybe two weeks, or even, you know, down to weekly, um, it's, it's really helpful for noticing like your patterns of sin. Uh, and helps to discover what we like to call a dominant fault, like the thing that you keep going back to confession for. Because um, people typically tend to have some kind of like favorite sin that they go to, and that's based usually on your personality, on your temperament, things like that. Um, and so going to confession more often helps you to notice patterns and therefore helps you to notice what virtues you can, uh, you can exercise to counteract the vices. That's really good. Yeah, I think that's a really important thing to do. And also as somebody who goes to confession weekly or tries to, at least I can say for a fact that it does really help, um, grow your spiritual life and really kind of bring that self-awareness to where you really kind of single out what sins you really struggle with and which ones are more rare. Right. Um, and I think on another hand too, it also helps with the nerves, um, because people who don't go as often tend to get more nervous when they do end up going to confession. So the more you go, it's, it's like practicing anything. You know, the more you go, the more used you get to it. It, it becomes less nerve wracking the more often you go. Amen to that, because honestly, I have experienced that when I first came back <laughs> to my faith, yeah, yeah. I was like a wreck. Like I was shaking in my boots. My knees were clanking together. I'm like, oh gosh, give me strength. You know, God, I don't know what to do. And then after going, you know, regularly, I knew what to expect. I knew who the priests were. I, I gained this relationship with them and um, I became less scared because they were just so supportive and helpful in guiding me through that um, sacrament. Oh, yeah especially if you have a regular confessor that you're able to go to with that frequency, that normally helps with the nerves as well, because they know you, you know them, you know exactly what to expect. So there's really no kind of, um, there's nothing um, surprising, I guess, in those situations. Exactly. So piggybacking off of that, um, what would be the best way for someone to confess like sensitive or embarrassing sins? Like how detailed should they be in the sacrament of reconciliation? Right. So the key thing with that is to make sure that they actually name the sin. Um, so uh, what tends to happen is that we get euphemism sometimes like, oh, I, I committed the teenage sin or like I committed sins against chastity. It's like, I need you to be a little bit more specific than that. Um, so like we get like those generalities, things like that. So I like, go like actually name the sin, like I stole X, Y, or Z, you mm -hmm. know? Um, so we do need like that at least. Um, and the reason for that is that putting a name to your sins in some sense gives you power over it, uh, to both reject the sin and also to repent of the sin. Um, it's for the same reason that an exorcist will ask the name of a demon, because by asking its name and by getting its name, you have power over it. Just like also with Adam and Eve being able to name the creatures in the garden. Um, by naming something, you have some sense of power. So like by naming the sin, it's, it's actually for your own good to be able to reject it. Um, because people tend to, to want to use euphemisms or generalities because they're ashamed of some sins that they commit, um, especially the sensitive or embarrassing ones. 
Um, right. And with that, you know, shame, it, it's a weapon that Satan tends to use to keep us from having the power over our sins. And so the, the reality is, like, as priests, like, we, we pretty much hear it all. I was like, the more specific you are, the more we can help you. Um, it's like, it's, it's, it's often helpful to say, I committed this particular sin this many times. Um, that helps to know a frequency so we could say, okay, this is a particular pattern. How can we help you to undo that pattern? Right. And I know for a fact that if you um, conceal a mortal sin knowingly while in confession, that is a sin of sacrilege, which is also a mortal sin, correct? Correct. Yes. And so even if you're super scared, um, if you just conceal those sins, you know, it just gets worse. So no matter how embarrassing, like Father Dan said, you know, they're there to help you and they're not there to judge or, you know, be like, oh, you did this, you're a horrible person. They're there to offer you peace, um, you know? Exactly. And that's part of the prayer of absolution is to say through the ministry of the church, may God give you pardon and peace. Um, and I think that's definitely a huge part of that is, is, yeah, like you actually receive more peace by getting it off your chest, by actually being specific. Um, like I said, having that power to reject the sin and to repent of it. Exactly, which is so, so important. And, you know, in current, uh, the light of current events with COVID-19, a lot of churches are shut down and there are a lot of, you know, lay people who are without the sacraments. So if somebody cannot get to confession due to COVID-19, um, what do they do? Yeah, um, so I guess it really depends like state to state because I know in Louisiana, we've been very fortunate where we really didn't have to completely shut down confession. Um, we were very fortunate even back in March and in April when this was first starting where we started doing drive-through confessions, uh, which was really cool because here at Nichols State University, we have a golf cart that we actually already had rigged up for confessions. We called it the Mercy Mobile. <laughs> um, something that we would just take on campus to hear confessions. Um, and so um, what we would do is, at least with the beginning of COVID, we put that out in front of the church and we had basically drive-through lines of the cars, uh, which was really cool. Um, and so if you don't have access to even something like that, in Louisiana, we're actually back to our confessionals, but behind the screen only for the sake of COVID. Um, if you can't go because of COVID, uh, one of the best things you can do is to make what's called an act of perfect contrition. Um, now with that, there's two different kinds of contrition. There's imperfect contrition, uh, which is defined as basically the aversion of punishment in hell, uh, which imperfect contrition does satisfy the requirement for contrition for confession to receive absolution. Uh, perfect contrition, on the other hand, uh, is a contrition that you are sorry for your sins because you desire union with God and you're sorry because you have offended God. And so you can even look up, you can Google, there are actually prayers of perfect contrition. Um, and the catechism makes it very clear, and I don't have the particular paragraph with me, but if you go in the section on sacraments under reconciliation, um, you'll find it somewhere in there. Uh, describes it as, as, again, that love of union with God. It does not substitute confession, uh, but it can forgive mortal sins if you resolve to go to confession as soon as you are able. Um, and if any of the you know, listeners here want to read up on that, Catholic News Agency has a great article on perfect contrition as it res, uh, regards COVID-19 and how you can do that outside of, uh, of being able, you know, because of limitations with COVID. That's an amazing resource. I'm sure a lot of my listeners will probably uh, jump on that, especially since I believe there's so many um, lost, you know, lay people and even priests who are very confused on, you know, what to do during these difficult times. Um, but speaking of, you know, the, the act of contrition and, you know, the internal parts of everything, how does someone prepare 
internally for confession? What do they need to do to prepare themselves? Yeah, so with preparing for confession, I think for everybody that's going to revolve around an examination of conscience, um, making sure that you're actually taking the time um, and not just, you know, going on the fly. Uh, you definitely want to take some time if you can beforehand um, to actually go through some kind of a list, like, um, you know, figure out like what sins are being committed and make sure you leave no stone unturned. Um, and there are some great resources out there for examinations of conscience. Um, there was an app a while back. I, I, they stopped updating it. So with the current like iOS platforms, for example, it's not supported anymore. But there was one that you could download on your phone where you could choose like your state in life. And it, it basically gave you a custom examination of conscience based on if you were single, if you were married, priest, seminarian, like you know, it was really cool in that. So you can, I'm sure you can Google different examinations of conscience. That's the great thing is the availability of resources with these things. Um, but find a good examination of conscience. That's step one. Find one for your state in life that actually helps you to know what sins uh, pertain to your state in life, because there are some things that are considered sins for one state that are not considered sins for the other, you know, for any other states in life. Um, so definitely find a good examine. Um, and then with that also, uh, make sure you're actually spending some time in prayer before confession, you know, preparing your heart, um, uh, helping, you know, you're asking the Holy Spirit to come and help you to know your sins, uh, which most priests will begin confession with that prayer anyway, some form of, of inviting the Holy Spirit to come and enlighten the mind and the conscience. Um, and then also maybe I would, you know, highly recommend doing some kind of scripture reflection with some of the penitential psalms. Uh, and my favorite penitential psalm is Psalm 51, which is the Miserere, have mercy on me, God, in your kindness. Uh, very beautiful psalm for, for repentance. And so kind of gets like in the mindset and in, in, in the attitude you need to go in to confess your sins with the, like truly with the sorrow that's needed um, to receive God's mercy and forgiveness. Right, which is so important. And I know for me, I use um, the Bulldog Catholic, um, uh, you know, the examination of conscience, which is extremely detailed and it gives you um, examples of, you know, um, you know, just a short explanation of why we go to confession and stuff. And it, it, you know, it has all of it. And I think this booklet is like pretty thick. You can print it out. I printed it out. It took me probably about 30 minutes to go through all of it. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> so um, it was definitely detailed. Um, but yeah, I think it's just so important to get that really good examination of conscience in there. And this wasn't really a question we were asked, but I was kind of curious about this. There are two types of confession. There's like the general confession, but then there's another one where like you sit like with a priest and they actually go through your whole life and kind of walk you through that. Is What is that? I think that one's actually more of the general confession as far as I'm aware. Um, oh, my bad. <laughs> so it, it, maybe, but yeah, there's usually where, you, you know, normal confessions typically are since the last confession. Uh, but there are, and I've done this as well, also like in spiritual directing the seminary is where you'll go through a general confession, maybe not through your whole life. You can do that. Uh, but are just like focusing on specific periods. Like I know my spiritual director had me look at, you know, basically my entire time in seminary and focus on like since committed in that period of time. This was, I was getting closer to ordination. Um, so just to focus on like the last like seven years of my life where I was in the seminary. And yes, yeah, so you can go through different periods. A spiritual director can really help you out with that. Uh, but okay. yeah, even though those sins have already been absolved, you know, past sins, um, it's good also, again, just like with, with, with the frequency of confession of seeing like what have been the patterns of sin throughout your life. Uh, again, this all comes down to self-awareness and self-knowledge. Right. Very cool. Okay. Thank you. Cause yeah, I was a little confused by that, but that's really neat. Um, so speaking of that, so afterwards, when we're kind of thinking about things, I know when I first came back to my faith, I started kind of 
not doubting, but kind of being like, did I miss any sins? Like, did I do enough penance and stuff? How do we know if we form like, um, a, like a sufficient contrition for our sins? <laughs> See, the thing with this one, this one's not very black and white. Um, <laughs> so yes, in, in many ways for this, like only God and the penitent really know how contrite we are. Like you yourself as the penitent know, you should know whether or not you're sorry. Um, and then God, who knows every mind and heart better than we know ourselves, is, is able to know that as well. Um, I guess like really for the purposes of granting absolution, uh, the act of contrition is like the verbal expression of that sorrow. Um, and so like, unless you specifically say like, I'm not sorry for committing a particular sin, then you, know, um, then you should be good as long as you make the act of contrition. Um, because in the, the act of contrition, we hear uh, really three key things. Um, first is like the desire to do penance, uh, the expression of sorrow, and then also the third one being the intent to not sin again. So that's kind of like the verbal, the, the external expression of the contrition, which is part of the matter of the sacrament, um, is having that particular contrition. Um, and so uh, if a penitent is not actually sorry for committing a sin, then absolution can't be granted uh, because contrition is part, again, of that necessary matter of the sacrament. Right, which is very important. And I think that was a good um, kind of a, a good summary of how we should, you know, really be truthful, you know, and open with our hearts, because God is the only one who can read our hearts, you know. Now, granted, too, you know, if you legitimately forget something, like if you forget a sin, like in the confession, um, it is still absolved, you know, and so what happens is many people in their confession saying for these and any sins I have forgotten, or if they don't end it themselves, then I will ask them, uh, are you sorry for these and all the sins you have forgotten in any sense of your past life? And at least in that kind of sense, it covers all the bases. Right, which is super important. Right. Um, yeah, that's great. Um, do you have any tips for people who might be going to confession for the first time or might just be nervous in general? Yeah, I do. Uh, and, and a lot of these tips actually are from some of my college students who just went through RCIA. Um, and so for them, because like for me, I'm a cradle Catholic. I, my first confession, I think, was in like fourth grade. So, <laughs> yeah, so I don't really remember too much of it. Um, but some of my students wanted to give some input on, on their tips for, for going, at least for their first confession. And so these are just a few of the things they had to say. Yeah. Um, so they said, first of all, know the way you think of yourself and the guilt you feel. Uh, because a lot of time that guilt isn't from the Holy Spirit. Uh, probably more the shame isn't from the Holy Spirit. Uh, guilt can be a healthy thing. Guilt is what helps us to acknowledge the fact that we have done something wrong. Um, so I think that what they want to get at is like knowing the difference between guilt and shame, which shame is a defense mechanism that in a sense makes us identify with the wrong that we've done. So in essence, because I've done something wrong, it means that I am bad or I am an evil person, which is not how God wants us to think of ourselves. Mm. Guilt says I've done something wrong, um, but that doesn't identify ourselves with evil or with sin, uh, if that makes sense. Um, and so, uh, you know, the second thing they say is go in prepared, like actually do an exam and write things down that you have to say, um, you know, write down the sins you really struggle with, uh, elaborate on what leads you to those sins. Uh, so the priest knows how to help you. Um, it's like with certain sins, if you know if this is a, a habitual sin, if there's a particular buildup to that sin that you notice patterns of like what gets you stressed, uh, what gets you angry, that causes you to fall into certain sins. Um, they say that like, like being able to, to identify those things is really helpful. Um, realizing that you're laying all your sins, um, even the bad ones, at the feet of Jesus. 
um, and know that if you fully like repent of these sins, like his power is enough to crush these sins. Again, a lot of that has to do with like naming the sins um, and like, like in a sense, you know, casting them to the feet of Christ and to the feet of the cross. Right. Uh, and then uh, let's see, what else did they say? Uh, get comfortable with the priest. Like, so like if you have, a, if you can find a regular confessor, get someone you're comfortable with. Um, and that way uh, you can relate to them also. Um, and, and, you know, that way, again, we kind of talked about that, just like, you know, the familiarity, um, you know, no surprises really in confession. They prefer having a regular confessor who they can go to and who knows their past and um, who, and you can give permission to in confession because um, typically the seal operates for individual confessions. But if someone releases the priest from the seal to talk about previous confessions, they can in fact do that. Um, and so especially if you combine spiritual direction with confession, you can um, give the priest permission to talk about things from previous confessions. You would just say, I release you from the seal to talk about a previous confession. Um, and so that, that happens a lot, especially when you combine spiritual direction with confession. Um, also understanding that no matter how frequently you go, um, the one that Christ and also the priest don't want you to walk in mortal sin. Uh, so I don't feel like, oh, I just went to confession. I'll be so embarrassed to go back this soon or, you know, or, or the priest is going to judge me because I just went like two or three days ago, you know, if you're struggling with a habitual mortal sin. Um, I, I, at least for me personally, I'm willing to bet most priests agree with this. Like we would rather people not be walking around in a state of mortal sin, if at all possible. Um, and just realize that we're going to give whatever time we can to hearing confessions. There are times where, you know, if you catch us like right before mass and it's like we were like trying to start mass and we're already like five minutes late, you know. Um, but most of the time, like if you schedule an appointment with us, like, you know, we, we, we want you to be in a state of grace um, because we do not want you to die um, in a state of sin. I love uh, so, that. I mean, I go up. Oh, did you have more? No, I think that kind of covers all those bases. No, yeah. yeah, I absolutely love that. And I love that you got it from actual RCIA students who are actually experiencing this because their um, their insight is truly helpful for those who are either thinking about converting or are in the RCIA and have, um, you know, their, I don't know, kind of like, um, you know, reaffirmation or something, you know, from people who are going through the same thing. So oh, I yeah. think that's really great. And um, <laughs> I was going to say, um, I had a dream last night where uh, I went to confession and then I don't exactly remember what I did, but I had to go to, back to confession. I was like, bless me, Father Fries, and it's been three seconds since my last confession. And she was just <laughs> like, uh, and I was just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, it was like, it was, it wasn't like a nightmare, but I was just like, oh, I'm so stupid. <laughs> Anyway, I just wanted to share that, but oh my gosh, how crazy is that? Yeah, yeah. Oh gosh. Um, but yeah, I actually had another question. If, um, you know, I, I was thinking like when you brought up spiritual directors and being comfortable with a priest, would it be smart for somebody who maybe has um, anxiety about, you know, meeting priests or talking to priests or something to have their spiritual director be the priest that they confess to? I've, I think it really just depends on what your needs are personally. You know, I've had it before to where, you know, my confessor was my spiritual director. Um, I've had it, I, currently my situation is that, you know, my spiritual director is not my regular confessor. That's especially because my spiritual director is actually a priest of the Archdiocese of Dublin. Uh, so we can't actually do confession because he's in Ireland and I'm in Louisiana. Um, oh, wow. So I do have to go to confession to other priests. Um, so, um, 
so it, it just depends like what the needs are. And if you have, this is the thing. Um, I would say start like with the spiritual director as far as like, like, like when you're trying to answer that question of separating them or keeping them together, um, like make sure you find a spiritual director that works for you if you're going to have a spiritual director. Um, for example, I met mine at the Institute of Priestly Formation in Omaha, Nebraska two years ago. And, and for me, when I got out the seminary, when I was looking for a first director as a priest, um, I, I wanted that particular priest because he did more for me in my spiritual, you know, in my spiritual life than most other priests have in spiritual direction. So I made sure like that was a priority to have a good spiritual director. From there, I can find a, a priest to be a regular confessor. Um, so I would say prioritize making sure if you're going to do spiritual direction, find the director that works for you. And then from there, um, try to find, you know, if he's, if you don't want to go to him regularly for a confession, um, then that's up to you as well. Also realize too, that even with spiritual direction, um, really, I think the only people that are required to have priest spiritual directors are seminarians. Um, but priests can have, uh, people who are not priests as spiritual directors. Like I know there's a, a particular deacon um, who works with the Institute of Priestly Formation who does direction for priests. Um, you can get a nun as a spiritual director. People who, uh, especially lay people, can find just about anybody as a spiritual director. And so in those cases, obviously, you can't go to confession with them. Okay, very cool. And, you know, what should somebody look for in a spiritual director? I know we're a little off topic of confession, but what should they look for, like the main things? Uh, really, you're looking for someone um, who helps you to, <laughs> it's a very, maybe it's almost like a stupid easy answer or a stupidly simple answer, but like someone who actually helps you to grow. Um, and that's the thing too, like I've had several spiritual directors over my time in seminary simply because I had to go from a college seminary and then to a graduate seminary. So I did have to, you know, switch directors at one point. Um, they all helped me grow. Some were able to do that better than others, not because, you know, they're better spiritual directors. It's just, it's finding like the match that matches your temperament, matches your personality, um, things like that. Um, so first of all, like I would say, like you really just have to identify what your needs are. Um, are you going to spiritual direction because you're trying to, to discern your vocation um, or have you discerned your vocation and you're living out that vocation and you're just looking um, maybe for like a shorter term, like help me to overcome this particular thing in my life. Um, like knowing what's the goal of spiritual direction is going to help you with finding the right one. Um, I think it's kind of like the, the basic principle. And then from there, finding somebody who helps you to actually go deeper in prayer. Um, I know for me, because just, you know, personally, I'm a choleric. That's my temperament. So uh, I tend to keep prayer more on the level of the head. And so my spiritual director helps me to move from the head to the heart. Um, and whereas I'm a very big picture kind of guy, he helps me to go and uncover the little details. There is no stone unturned in spiritual direction for me. He will point out the small little things and ask, what do you think this thing means? And, and sometimes I'll overlook it myself in prayer, but then he helps me to identify the small things to go back into prayer and then go deeper with those things. So that's kind of how that really works for us. Right. Which is really cool because, you know, with all of that, you know, with the sacrament of confession and that it can be really powerful in growth, you know, in spiritual growth. Oh, for sure. And um, I've heard, you know, I've heard the sacrament of confession being referred to as the sacrament of conversion or the sacrament of penance, you know, kind of. Well, several different names for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And yeah. I just love the sacrament of conversion because, isn't it so true that, you know, through the sacrament of confession, we are coming back to God and, you know, renouncing sin and kind of being like that prodigal son, you know, prodigal son. Um, but yeah, I mean, what would you say, coming back to confession, um, what would you say to those who 
you know, say that you shouldn't confess your sins to a priest and you should only confess them to God alone. I know this is more of a, a Protestant based mindset, but um, what would you say? Well, yeah, I mean, there are also Catholics that I know who struggle with this question as well. Right. Um, but, you know, the, first of all, like, if you look in the scriptures, like Christ gave, again, this is kind of going back to, to John 20, 23, that Christ gave the apostles in their priesthood the power to forgive sins. Right. Um, and then also a second place in scripture where we find confession, and literally by that name of confessing, is in the epistle of James chapter 5, verse 16, where St. James says, like, to confess your sins to one another. Um, and so confession as a sacrament is scriptural, as are all the sacraments. So again, this is a mandate from Christ. Mm -hmm. um, so if you look at it from that regard, that's why, you know, we should confess our sins to a priest um, and, and, and not just go to God. Um, and then second, um, all, all sins have a public character. So even if a sin was committed in private, uh, it still affects the whole body of Christ. And so what the priest does in confession is he represents both God and the church in the act of reconciliation. So that's another name for the sacrament, is the sacrament of reconciliation. And so in that regard, the priest stands in not just for God, uh, but also for the entire church to receive the sinner back into that communion with the church. Um, and then finally with that, like I, I don't think I've ever met anybody who said they ever regretted going to confession and didn't feel better afterwards. Um, and really the reason for this is twofold. First is the sense of kenosis or like the sense of self-emptying of unloading our sins, uh, again, by naming them. And then second is also like physically hearing the words from the priest, I absolve you from your sins. Um, and what that does is give us like this knowledge and the certainty that we have been absolved. Um, again, like God gave us the sacraments for our own good um, so that we can have the assurance of his mercy, especially with, with, with the sacrament of reconciliation, is for us to hear those words, um, and which is a very comforting thing. And I've had so many people tell me, oh, Father, those are like some of the most beautiful words. And I completely agree. It's, it's actually being able to hear those words um, and know with certainty that God does forgive us of our sins. Right, which is so beautiful too. And, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, a friend that I had a while ago. And, um, you know, they asked me the question, you know, if I went to confession and then while sitting in mass, you know, right before, uh, you know, um, receiving the Eucharist, you know, before that, um, going up for communion, um, and it's a mortal sin, do I have to go back to confession before receiving the Eucharist? I, of course, said yes, but I'd like to get your take on that. Wait, say that again? I'm sorry. So, no, you're okay. I know I kind of explained it weird. So basically, if you just went to confession and then okay. you left confession and you remembered a mortal sin while sitting in mass right before communion, okay, do you need to go back to confession to confess that mortal sin before receiving the Eucharist now that you remembered it? Okay, since you just remembered, if you legitimately forgot, it would be absolved in the previous confession as long as you forgot um, and you weren't withholding it. Um, because that happens all the time too. Like, you know, I, I'm sure like there are several people who remember a mortal sin that was committed um, and, and they, you should go back at some point to confess that, obviously. Um, but as far as like receiving communion, um, as long as you legitimately forgot, um, again, that, that sense of contrition, um, and as long as like, you know, there's some kind of notion like you're sorry for all the sins of your past life, it would have been absolved in that first confession. Okay, very cool. Thank you for clarifying that. And kind of, um, kind of my last question here is, you know, why so many people ask me this is, 
Why? I, I mean, of course, I know the answer, but I would love for you to, as a priest, you know, explain this is why is it so important that we do not receive Jesus Christ mortal sin in the, in the Eucharist? Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah. So that's scriptural as well. That comes from um, St. Paul who talks about like, like discerning the body and discerning the blood. Um, so in, 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 yeah, the sense of like, he even says this too, in that in that particular passage, I'm drawing a blank on exactly which epistle it's from. Um, I want to say maybe it's Corinthians because that's where he talks about the, uh, the last supper again. Um, but he, it's this whole idea of like eating and drinking damnation upon yourself um, that in, in a sense, um, mortal sin takes the fruit of the cross takes in, and takes the fruit of the Paschal mystery, which is, which is the body and blood of Christ and turns it into a sour fruit, I guess, if you want to use that analogy, mm -hmm. um, a rotten fruit. And so for us, it becomes uh, something that is very damning as opposed to life-giving. Um, and so that's, that's kind of, you know, the, the gist with that. And, and, you know, and going back like to John six, where Jesus says, you know, um, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. So obviously like the necessity to eat and drink his blood, uh, his flesh and his blood uh, is there. And so for us, like that has to necessitate also being in a state of grace to receive it correctly. Um, I guess is kind of the, the basic answer for that. Exactly, which is so cool, you know, to kind of think about and why it is also like so, so important that, you know, when you come into the Catholic faith, um, you know, whether you're a grown up or you're a child receiving your first Holy Communion, that they are well catechized and they go to confession and they understand these sacraments so that um, they do not bring that damnation upon themselves. And this is why um, it is so important that you must be a faithful practicing Catholic in a state of grace to be able to receive communion. Um, you know, just it's, it's basically <laughs> for safety, but, you know, also because it, it is true, uh, true blood and body of Jesus Christ. And he does not deserve to be in a f filthy vessel, I guess. <laughs> right. And even there, you know, uh, I do want to make some clarifications as regards to the precepts of the church involving both confession and communion. Um, and, and with that, so, you know, the, with the, in the precepts of the church, that's basically what says, like, I guess you could say the absolute minimum that a, a practicing Catholic should be doing. Um, and what it says is this, like, you should receive the Eucharist at least once a year, preferably in the Easter season. Um, now, what that means is that you, do you only receive once a year? Um, no, you should receive um, whenever, you, whenever you go to Mass. Uh, is it necessary to receive even for Sunday Masses? No, it's not. Um, people tend to confuse the Eucharist as being like your, your, your check mark or like your sticker that you, you, your participation sticker that you went to Mass. That's not the case. You can be in a state of grace uh, and not receive communion by going to Mass. In fact, in, in, in many of the Middle Ages, um, the practice was that only the priest would receive communion at Mass. Widespread communion was not as popular at that time, uh, not until the more recent centuries. Um, so with that, that also means you still should go to Mass on Sundays, even if you don't receive. Um, like that's still, you know, that's still the requirement. Um, you know, obviously right now with COVID, there's a lot of dioceses who don't have that obligation. But, you know, back in normal circumstances, yes, you should still go to Mass every Sunday. And I would say you should receive every Sunday, but it's not absolutely necessary. Same thing with confession. They, they say that you should go to confession at least once a year, presuming that you're going to receive communion at least that once a year time. But the thing is, like, should you go to confession more often? Absolutely. Um, because I think of all the sins that, you know, people commit regularly in the span of a week or in the span of a month. Uh, so obviously you should want to be going to confession more than just once a year. So, yeah. Right.
No, yeah, for sure. And I totally agree with that. That's so important to clarify because I think a lot of times um, people don't understand what being a practicing or faithful Catholic means, you know, what the precepts are. So that's really important to clarify. Thank you for that. And, um, you know, I was just thinking about, you know, the craziness going on in today's world and how long some people have been without the sacraments. And, um, you know, do you have any words of encouragement for them that, you know, could be helpful during this time? Yeah, for sure. And, and as a little prelude to my answer with that, um, one of the beautiful things about this whole pandemic has been that we've been seeing so many people coming back to confession who haven't been in so long. Um, because I was just ordained in June. So whenever I, I, I start, I actually moved in here at St. Thomas uh, at Nichols it, back in March. I finished the rest of my last semester in seminary and then got put here as the associate pastor when I was ordained. But as a deacon, when I was here, um, I couldn't hear confessions yet. So what I was doing was I was helping direct the traffic in our car lines, which was a beautiful opportunity to get to talk to people who had not been to confession sometimes in decades. Um, and what they were realizing was that at the very beginning of this pandemic, they're becoming, I guess, more aware of their mortality. Uh, maybe people mm. were more fearful back at the beginning of this. And so they were coming back to confession and needed help. Like, Father, I haven't been in decades. Like, can you help me? Or, or Father, I was a deacon at the time. Um, <laughs> like, deacon, like, can you help me? Like, how do I do this? And so I was able to walk through them, uh, like examinations of conscience, which is a beautiful uh, moment to really, I guess, kind of put them at ease before they got to confession. You know, um, and so um, I'm sorry, what was the original question about? <laughs> <laughs> no, basically just giving them a, uh, you know, that's amazing, you know, just giving yeah. them kind of a, a, an uplifting, you know, advice or anything you have during the time of the yeah. pandemic. Yeah. Um, if it's available for you to go to confession, again, I know, like you said, there are a lot of places that a confession is still not available with the pandemic. If you can go, I highly recommend it. Um, and especially if you haven't been in a long, long time, you know, um, I love when I get people who come to confession and haven't been in a long time. And guess what? I get to sit there and say, welcome back. <laughs> like, welcome <laughs> home. You know, praise God that you're here. Um, you know, I think for me as a priest, like starting off with that is so important if they haven't been back in a while, just to say, welcome home. Like, you know, um, wow, like, you know, it's great to have you here. And, you know, like, praise God, you're here. You get to come and you get to encounter like God's mercy, you know, um, right. in many ways for me, it's a privilege to receive those confessions. Uh, so yeah, like, you know, I, I, and I think there are a lot of priests who have that same mentality, who want uh, to hear those confessions, who want to take that burden off of you uh, because you've been carrying it for so long because nothing, um, I mean, shoot, one of the best things for us to see is, is when we see penitents walk out of confession, um, and, and just, you could tell there was something transformational. You can tell they just unloaded so much. Um, and, and, and for me, one of the greatest signs of contrition, kind of going back to that question, you know, a few minutes ago, uh, is, is tears. I think tears are some of the best signs of, con of contrition, uh, because that's when you know people are sorry, is when the heart is so full and it's unloading so much and they just want to get it off. And that's a physical manifestation of that contrition. Um, that is so rewarding to see. Uh, when we know that someone who has been so long actually had an encounter with the heart of Christ and with the mercy of God, um, and they're walking out much more free than they were when they walked in. Right, which I think is such a uh, good visual representation, because I remember when I was younger, I didn't, I wasn't, it's not that I was, I just, I didn't understand, you know, the sacraments when I was younger, and so, you know, I would confess my sins, and I'd be like, 
all right, cool. I'm out. Peace. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah. I, I didn't really put much thought into it because I didn't really understand it. Then, you know, I left for eight years and then I came back and now it's like, I almost can't stop myself from crying when going to confession. It's very interesting. And it's like, I don't try and stop myself. Like that's not right. normal, but at the same time, now it's like, it has a whole other meaning now that I actually know what it does. And I know it still worked when I was a child and everything, but I didn't have that knowledge or maturity, maturity to understand it, you know, and to really take appreciation of what it was doing to my soul. Um, and now it's like, I do have that appreciation and that maturity to understand how it does help, you know, spiritually and mentally even, you know, um, just to have that visual representation of a priest there who is absolving your sins. You know, you gave those sins to Christ and he's absolving you through the power of Christ and everything. And it's just getting that reassurance that you are forgiven. Yep. And, uh, I think that's just so amazing. And, um, you know, I wanted to read a little bit from 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21. Um, this is where St. Paul is talking about um, reconciliation to the, um, you know, when he's writing the letters. And it states, and all this is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So we are ambassadors for Christ. As if God were appealing through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin. Um, for our sake, he made him to be sin who did not know sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So this is basically, you know, Paul stating how Christ gifted them the sacrament of reconciliation. And, you know, the, the, I just think it's so amazing how he mentions that they are ambassadors for Christ, you know? Yeah, yeah. And um, this is just kind of like one of my favorite Bible verses um, when talking about, you know, the sacrament of reconciliation and things like that. Um, but yeah, I, I mean... I think confession is just such an amazing sacrament and we are so blessed to have it, especially um, those of us who are able to access it during COVID, you know, um, and I pray for those who cannot, <laughs> you know, unfortunately access this, um, you know, just on a final question, um, do you, as a, you know, as a priest, do you, do you ever get tired of certain sins or ever hearing confessions? Or do you ever get irritated at anyone who has, you know, a re reoccurring sin? Uh, not in the sense of really hearing sins. Um, it, it's, you know, even like the routine ones a lot of time, like it just, you know, we, for me, I, and maybe this is because I'm, I'm still a fairly, fairly young priest, um, <laughs> at least at this point in my priesthood. No, uh, I, I don't say, I, if I get tired, it, it's just more of like a natural physical tiredness. So sometimes I'll sit, I'll sit in the confessional for an hour or even two hours. Um, and if there's a, a, like a slump in the confession line, sometimes I'll go get out of the confessional, grab a cup of coffee and come back in. <laughs> um, so I, I've had to do that a few times because uh, we were doing confessions before our vigil mass for like two hours at one point. Um, and now we have confessions more available throughout the week to alleviate that. Um, but no, as far as like, you know, hearing certain sins or even like routine sins or the same over and over again. Um, so far, no, um, you know, and in many ways, it, it, it's just, it's, it's a blessing to be able to help people through those, um, you know, when they come for, 
for help with the same thing over and over again, at least to help them, you know, try to figure out, you know, sometimes like, it's like playing whack-a-mole, you know, living a life of virtue is li literally playing like, it's playing a game of whack-a-mole, you know, you hit one mole and then another one pops up. Um, and so it's trying to figure out what can we do um, to help this person to keep moving forward. Um, so uh, again, a lot, there's so many more rewards uh, for on, on our end uh, than, than for us just to put up with hearing the same confessions over and over. Right. Amen. Yes, that is absolutely amazing. And for those of you listening, that was a Father uh, Daniel Duplantis. Thank you so much, Father Dan, for talking with us about um, confession and just the sacraments and even the Eucharist a little bit. We got a little off topic and I love having these conversations. It's my pleasure. Thank you. And with all of that being said, well, I hope you all enjoyed this podcast and you know, I will see, um, I will hear you guys. <laughs> you guys will hear me, I guess, technically <laughs> in the next one. Okay. Well, I will see you guys later. Bye. questions or comments about today's episode, email me at thereligioushippie at gmail.com or leave a voice message at anchor.fm forward slash thereligioushippie. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to A Catholic's Perspective with Amber Rose, The Religious Hippie. Please be sure and rate and review this podcast. This podcast is copyright. Any previously trademarked or copyright content is used by permission. Be sure to like and follow The Religious Hippie on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok, or visit her official website at thereligioushippie.com. This podcast is produced by Todd Fisher and distributed by Metacortex Publishing. And be sure to visit metatomics.org to see our listings of other unique podcasts.